it going? My name is Ben, and you're listening to Disney Plus plus Ben Plus Friends, which is the podcast where Disney Plus plus me plus friends. And boy, oh boy, do I have some friends today. I'm really excited. We're we're talking about a, it's literally one of my favorite movies of all time, not just Disney movies. It it is the the absolute classic, a goofy movie. I was going to do this episode on Father's Day, and then I forgot, and now I'm glad I didn't, because I cried a bunch as is, and the original plan was I was going to do it with my dad, and the whole episode would have just been just, like, sobbing, like, I love you, I love you too, uh, isn't Powerline great? Because, uh, yeah, my dad cries at movies almost as much as I do. Anytime that we watch Field of Dreams, we text each other, like, I'm watching Field of Dreams right now, like, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's how things go, but enough about me. I'm so excited to introduce my guests, guys. I've got I've got a really cool rock and roll band, and it's it's Faint Heart. Faint Heart, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys so much for doing this. I'm so excited. We haven't ever done this before. I do host another podcast that's more music oriented. This is the first time I've had a whole band on a on the Disney Pod. So we are we're Sands Hunter who plays drums. He it's possible he'll pop in later, but it looks like he got tied up. That's okay. But I've got I've got Jeremy and Riley and Tanner of the band Faint Heart. How's it going, guys? How's the choir treating you? It's going. It's going. <laughs> oh, I was gonna make a, yeah, that's about right. I was gonna make a crappy joke about Hunter being stuck in traffic. Like, oh, sorry, I got stuck in traffic. That's going late. <laughs> but, you know, that joke played yeah, out. Yeah, digital traffic. That's for the Wreck It Ralph episode. Yeah, uh, so. I, I know you guys very well, and I'm so thrilled to have you guys on, but I want the audience to get to know you. So uh, let's let's go um, in order on my screen. So Jeremy Riley Tanner, say your name, what you do in the band Faint Heart, and if Faint Heart were to do a, an all-Disney cover EP, what song would you pick for that EP, all right? So my name's Jeremy, and I play bass, and I thought about this in two ways. One that I think would be the most obvious and one that I thought would be really cool. Uh, the first one, my brain went pop punk. So of course you've got a friend in me because pop punk is incomplete without friends um, and friends we trust. And then uh, ideally, uh, you know, like the, the main theme from Up, which that Oh I, yeah, that just makes me cry. I, I can't yeah. pronounce the composer's last name, but Michael G. I'm gonna take a, an embarrassing stab at it. I think it's Michael Giancino. I think, but then I'm probably dead wrong. <laughs> so I'm imagining like a prog cover, like just real shreddy of that. Oh take, yeah, take it for a real weird walk. So that'd be my very answer, technical. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you got a friend in me, you know, and then we skateboard yeah. and pizza. Well, Hunter's <laughs> not here, so you get to pick two for okay. Hunter. Sorry to be back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Riley, how about you? Uh, Yeah. Hi, I'm Riley. I play guitar in Faint Heart. And oddly enough. uh, And you also produce the band. You're an amazing producer, too. Thank you. That's true. (laughs) Um, If I were to pick any song to cover, honestly, in general, I would probably pick Eye to Eye from the. Yes. It's the right answer. That's the right answer. I, well, I love that song. I think it is so great. I play it. It's on my like bangers mashup playlist. Personally, yes. like it gets me in such a great mood. I played it. It was the first song at my wedding that we played. Like, <laughs> I, that's amazing. I love it. But I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't know if I'd want it 
to be like a cover where we just do it exactly how it is because it's perfect or if it'd be yes. like how would we do it and i was thinking about that you know the other day and i was just like mm-hmm. can you well, imagine us doing what- that song Part of why I picked you guys for this episode was one of the most recent times I ran sound for you guys at the Rhino, you guys requested Eye to Eye as your walk-up music, which uh, was, you know, that sets a, I think, an unfair standard of expectation for the audience. You know, like, you guys are a very good band, but Eye to Eye is Eye to Eye, you know? So I I think you picked... Yeah, exactly. You picked almost too too good of a hip-hop song. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Us pumped up. It's for Uh, us, you know? You're right, 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 right. You got to harness that energy. But yeah, no, that's that's an excellent answer. We will talk plenty about Powerline, the biggest rock star on the planet uh, in this episode, I'm sure, in detail. Uh, but thank you for that answer, Riley. And then Tanner, uh, what are you doing, Faint Heart? What song would you pick for the all all Disney Faint Heart EP? Well, I, uh, I, I sing and play guitar in Faint Heart. Um, and when, when I, thinking of this question, the first thing that pops into my mind, music, Disney, I just think Phil Collins from Tarzan. Yeah, Tarzan, and then I'm like, like strangers like me or something. One of those songs from Tarzan. I'm just like, but yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the first thing that came out. Tar- Tarzan has an underrated sound. I, I didn't. That's I think. a great answer. Yeah, call it yeah. It's a really plays, and that whole soundtrack is great. The whole thing. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> what a flex, you know? But like, not like a like not like a, a condescending or like arrogant flex that you're just like more Phil Collins, you know? Well, right. Like the the weird thing about that soundtrack is most of it is Phil Collins performing it. You know, I mean, they got Phil Collins to come in and he was like, well, my vocals will be like when the gorilla mom sings to Tarzan, it'll be my voice. Right. That's a, it's a bold swing for sure. I, I really like it. I do know there's a stage adaptation of Tarzan that I have not personally seen, but I would be curious to see if, Phil Collins performed every single performance of the run of that on Broadway, <laughs> just standing off stage, kind of like a narrator. <laughs> he's, in, he's in the pit. Or, he's the entire pit. Or if, yeah, yeah, he is the pit. Uh, yeah, they've just got him like on a vocorder and a looper pedal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, great. Well, now everybody knows you guys a little bit better, and we get to talk about a goofy movie, which I just couldn't be more excited to do. So, uh, a little bit of context for a goofy movie. It is a Goofy movie, not the Goofy movie, which actually has a really good gag right off the bat because it says, a movie, and then Goofy crashes into it, and it's a Goofy movie. came out in 1995. When this came out, there was actually kind of a weird power struggle going on at Disney. Jeffrey Katzenberg was, uh, he stepped down kind of in the, in the middle of this, and this the release of this got a little bit botched. And it was, at one point in time, even considered to maybe be released straight to VHS. And it's crazy to me to think that this movie, I think it already gets a little bit overlooked, but the idea that this movie could have been even more overlooked than it is, is wild. It was ultimately a pretty good financial success. It ended up grossing a little over $35 million in its initial run. It was pretty low budget, considering, uh, again, at a point they were legitimately thinking about making it straight to VHS. And it, it was pretty well liked by critics. It got two thumbs up from Siskel and Ebert because that's what happened back in the day if you were a good movie. And Roger Ebert really liked it. Apparently during his screening, it, it, there was a technical difficulty with the projector. So he didn't get to see the ending of the movie and he still gave it three and a half stars. And then uh, later on went on to see the end of the movie, but it's just crazy to me. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it, but 
the idea that you see this movie but not eye to eye and you first of all very upsetting but second of all i love that he liked the rest of the movie enough that he was like yeah i'll still give it three and a half stars i, I don't know so that's that's a little bit of history and context for a goofy movie and now i just want to ask you guys what are your favorite parts of a goofy movie what are your favorite parts of this masterpiece jeremy oh, I, I just got to come in with a quick zinger and say please uh, please that's not the only release jeffrey katzenberg is botched that's a that's Ayo. a quibby joke that's a that's a quick bit joke right there quibby oh, yeah his sorry yeah no 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 i didn't quibby, realize uh, like that was the same dude i just googled that oh no no yeah totally wow. totally yeah wow <laughs> that's kind of his legacy now is kind of botching <laughs> releases of things <laughs> yeah so uh aside from jeffrey katzenberg what are you guys favorite parts of a goofy movie what do you like about this movie what's your relationship to this movie i've seen this movie a hundred thousand times so I know it inside and out, um, not to be confused with inside out. That's a Pixar film, but you know. <laughs> well, oh, I can, I can start. I, I was just. Do it. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, I think I might be a little bit different here. Like I remember loving this movie as a kid. Um, but I think for me, it was like one of those things where um, like going back, there was a lot that I didn't remember. I remember some scenes very specifically, like, I, I remember very vividly, like the 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 perfect cast at the end, the you know, sure. like the, the water and the water like going off the waterfall. I remember that a lot, and I I remember the leaning tower at Chiza. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that Polly Shore? That is Polly yeah. Shore. That is absolutely Polly Shore. He's yes. one of my favorites, man. I like all of his lines stuck in my head from childhood. Oh, he just doesn't have tattooed in there. Yeah. Spooky! <laughs> Maze! What's up, bro? Yeah. 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 But so, so so there was a weird moment for you where things were coming back. Yeah. There were also parts that you remembered. Was there anything that you like, uh, this happens sometimes with me with childhood movies. Was there anything that you thought was in the movie that wasn't in the movie? Or? I actually, okay. <laughs> Part for some reason, I, I kind of uh, mixed together a little bit of the extremely goofy movie. Like thought, like I, oh, right on. Thinking of like call, like he went to college. I'm like, no, that's not at this at all. Like when I was watching, I'm like, whoa, no, this isn't. That's the wrong. Movie. Yeah, the college, <laughs> the college X Games aren't. Yeah, in, yeah. this one at all. <laughs> what like such an early two? Like let's. I mean, there was something really strange happening in the early 2000s. It's wild. And it's so clearly like Michael Eisner being like, let's get some brand synergy. We owned ESPN. They own the X Games. Let's do this. It is crazy. Pop culture fascination with X Games and extreme sports. In the it's so nuts. And and also just that like this direct to, because the second one was direct to VHS. This direct to VHS sequel to this cult classic movie has the ESPN logo just slapped all over it because it's the college <laughs> X Games. In extremely goofy movies, a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. That's wild. But yeah, uh, I, I this one for me, I, I very clearly remember I went and saw this in theater when I was pretty young with my dad and my two younger brothers, who my youngest brother would have been really really little um so maybe the first movie he saw in theater i don't know i'd have to check with my parents on that one but it's definitely a a movie about parents and children and fathers and sons and so i've always had a really special place in my heart for this and and specifically that memory attached to it uh i also think for for me well let's start on a weird note um i think that that this is 
maybe the horniest Disney animated movie. Like they, okay, it's about a high school and a high school kids, right? And so they had to have this element of like raging teenage hormones and like that awful feeling when you're 16 years old and you like lock eyes with somebody and suddenly you're attracted to them and you can't shake it and your whole, the whole rest of your body just shuts down and that's what you do now is like this person. And they do a really good job of making sure that's present in the movie, but I love the opening really like right off the bat gets you prepared for it because there's this crazy, I think for like Disney animated movie standards, kind of wild, very first scene where it's a dream sequence and Roxanne is like calling out to Max and there's this hay and they're both in all white and like very pure and like I'll, I'm choosing my words carefully because she's a 16 year old chipmunk, but like <laughs> she's drawn very sexualized and like the gown blows in the wind and it's like innocent. It's not like porno-y. It's like actually like sweet and romantic, but it does definitely have that element of like of teenage budding sexuality. And it's, I think a fascinating way to start this children's movie to kind of like give the audience the heads up of like what the tone of it is going to be overall. And then I love how quickly that, that they're like rolling in the hay. She like blows like, uh, <laughs> the, like what are those called? They're like the little dusty plant things. Like, those seeds. What are they called? Yeah, yeah, dandelion. She like blows the dandelion at him, but like her really purses her lips, and like it's it's kind of wild. And then on a dime, it shifts into this nightmare, and the colors all change. And I have this kind of weird theory that I'll get into as we talk about this, but like it goes from blue to very dark, and he literally becomes goofy. He he he, his bones all stretch out, his teeth stretch out, and like the the hay that was blowing and like the wheat, it suddenly is like a briar patch, like almost like a sleeping beauty's castle. And I just love that as a way to start the movie. It's just kind of like, it's bizarre. It's a really bizarre way to start a movie. And I just love that bold swing. What do you guys think about the beginning? Oh, I thought the same thing watching it. I was just like, whoa, I forgot. So I recently watched it again. And I remember most of the movie very well. Like we were talking about um, just like remembering things where it's like there's little like nuances where like, oh, Goofy gets in the hot tub and he's going to sigh like three seconds in. And I'm like making the noise of the sigh before it happens. I'm like, why do I know that? But the opening scene was something that I like kind of slipped my mind. But the second it happened, I was like, oh my goodness, I remember this. And like being like, oh yeah, this was like a, a totally different swing. But also just being like, man, this is a really cool way to set the tone for the movie quickly because it's not a long right. movie, but they do cover a lot of meaningful scenes in progression. I feel like I remember it being way longer than it is. Absolutely. The the screenplay is incredibly efficient. Like I, I, a thing that I took note of was the fact that 10 minutes into the movie, you've already had after today and stand out. It's like Max gets busted by Principal Mazer at 10 minutes and 33 seconds. Not even 11 minutes into this movie, we have established this weird dream sequence, Goofy and Max's relationship. We have had After Today, which is an absolute banger, one of my all-time favorite big chorus numbers from any musical ever. And and then the introduction of PJ and, and Bobby and just kind of the idea in general of Roxanne and the hilarious 
very dry kind of Ben Stein-esque, uh, you know, assembly that gets interrupted by Standout, which is such a cool musical number. I mean, like, it is crazy. If this thing moves at breakneck speed, it's, it's wild. Right. And I think like for, you know, loving this movie through my entire childhood, like I told my mom we were going to be doing this podcast and I didn't say what movie. And she's like, oh, is it the Goofy movie? And I was like, yes, yes, <laughs> Kara, it's the Goofy movie. And I'm so excited. <laughs> um, but just remembering how much it kept my attention. And I think that's something I value in movies in general. And it just kind of there's not really wasted time in it at all. And so, yeah, I agree. It's really cool. I think. For me, I'm kind of in the same boat, man. I think, like, whenever I say, like, uh, what my favorite movies are, you know, like, you want to be cool and be like, uh, Clockwork Orange, 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know, and Citizen Kane. But I'm like, no, it's like Space Jam. uh, Yes. (laughs) of the Year and uh, Goofy Movie. And I've seen it so many times and can quote it so much. But I want to go back to this, this opening dream sequence let's let's like some major midsummer vibes oh yeah Uh, yes (laughs) thinking about the horniness of this disney film and so like you know like roxanne you know is like this chipmunk and that was 95 and space jam and lola bunny was 96 you know yeah yeah like teen summer camp hormones going on over at disney when they're animating this you know yeah, yeah. And at Warner Brothers with, with uh, yeah. Looney Tunes. Yeah, so, yeah. It was in the water for the sure. Industry or, you know, I feel like there's maybe they're all just whatever. Um, Can I propose a theory? Is that I think the first movie to ever really do that is Robin Hood. I think that Disney's Robin Hood is the first. I've kind of dug into this and I have this theory that the f- idea of kind of like furry fetishism was spawned by Robin Hood and specifically. Robin Hood and Maid Marian, those two foxes are so attractive. I find them both incredibly attractive. Robin Hood's voice in that is like butter, you know? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I wonder if, I, I'd like to look at the dates, but I bet that Robin Hood came out like 22 years before a Goofy movie. And that like the first- 22 years. There you, oh my God. I swear I didn't look that up. So that that was kids who grew up watching Robin Hood and being like having their sexual awakenings watching Robin Hood, finally becoming cartoonists and making making this movie and Space Jam. And I I think that's what happened. I think that that is the psychological phenomenon going on there. I think we just absolutely cracked. Uh, yeah, I think we uh, we're gonna get a cease and desist here. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. I hope this podcast gets famous enough for, for legal action. But my thought <laughs> of like how much this, because uh, I was thinking about this movie and especially like the relationship I have with um, my own dad and how paternal this is. Because like Goofy doesn't get enough credit for being a single dad, you for know? Sure. Right? Um, yeah. And he's, you know, like, I mean, he gets to be in a house and, and, and Pluto doesn't, you know, which is like classic like meme. But it's, a, it's almost <laughs> like, I wonder, you know, it's like him turning into his dad is this like paternal shame, you know? And yeah, well, that's, I think what's really interesting about it is because it is a movie about a teenager, but the way that art works, it's being written and directed by people who are in their like late thirties and forties, you know, it's, it's not about 
So like, I do think what's really interesting is I think Max's fears, it's not that they wouldn't be fears a 16 year old would have, but I think they're especially fears that people who are a, a little bit older have and a, maybe a little bit more actualized as you start to like look in the mirror and like resemble uh, your father, you know, and I, I think that's totally in it and it's a major, so this is a weird, maybe I should save this for, no, I'm going to save this for, for one of the categories later on. I have a, a weird, it's not quite a Nick pick, but it's, it's a weird theory about, um, about how does like, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I think it's interesting that Goofy lives in the Midwest. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Tanner, so, so, oh no, no, Jeremy, do you have something else? I was just going to say, I was like, I was just going to add one more thing that I think's interesting, funny. So I, I, I work in marketing, but I think right now progressives campaign for like home insurance or something like that. That's like, we can't, um, stop you from becoming your parents or whatever yes <laughs> yes pain is brilliant like that human insight is just like chef's kiss you know yep cracks me up every time too and well i think there's just like a generational tradition you know that you distance yourself from your parents interests you know it's like whatever your parents are the system and whatever they like you can't like because it's not cool you know until it right ironically cool anyway well and i I think like at a developmental psychological level, I mean, like the first fundamental concept that most humans conceptualize is like comfort and then no. And then no becomes a, a binary inverse of comfort because like mom is food and comfort and shelter and pulling away from mom is no. And I think that that gets instilled in us. And so the quickest way for us to establish who we are is to establish ourselves in opposition to our parents. And I think that this really charming 88 minute long movie does a really good job of distilling that. I, Tanner, as somebody who had seen the movie before, but kind of forgotten it, what jumped out to you as some of your favorite stuff in this in this rewatch? Oh man, um, I mean, even just kind of like, this was one of my favorite parts too, just like watching it, but like kind of plays off a little bit of that too, is like, um, uh, Max's taste in like music and stuff, and then when Goofy starts to bring up like, like his fit, like uh, what is it? What is it? The, the um, oh, the high. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit- so I was talking, thinking of that scene like in the car when they're switching back between between that Incredible. and this guitar solo part. Yeah, and he's singing that um, um cracks me up the whole time watching that part. But it's like I think a very consistent with like what they're what they've been saying the whole movie really up like at the beginning part of that movie. But um, I think playing off of what, what you were saying earlier, kind of uh, it's just really interesting. I think um, is that, yeah, like um, it's, it's really interesting to see how he feels about like um, these, these ideas that of what his dad likes and he's kind of like, no, no, this <laughs> trying to turn it off and stuff. So. Yeah. And I, let's talk about, open road i th- let's talk about the greatest country western song ever written and yeah. recorded. Uh, i think like that that bit at the start where they are going back and forth on the radio stations i mean like that could be a pixar short right i mean like that alone is such a good concept and is so well executed and then you get this i think really great song like i love the idea that it starts kind of like of a like stomp out loud like the percussion starts and then it well, especially because it's 1985, right? And and like that, it, the song kind of like uh, summons itself in, into the universe. And I love how it becomes this big 
chorus number. I mean, like so many interesting characters on the road. I like when I was younger, I was like legitimately disturbed by the corpse that gets out of the hearse and starts dancing. Like I, I that like actually bothered me. But no, that that whole set piece is so great and does such a good job of establishing the tension between Max and his dad of establishing the stakes. You know, like there's that moment where they drive by the, there's like a, a car that's taking a prisoner to a police, uh, to jail, you know, and he's like, and I'll be toying in 65 next time I seize the open road. And he pictures Max in the striped, you know, uh, outfit with, with, with the shackle. And I, I just think that that's such a great storytelling musical number. I, I just think it's incredible. I, I love it. Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I it just also like I feel like he's playing through his head what the like the principal told him too about like your your kids starting a riot. Yeah, <laughs> that scene's crazy. So, okay, so maybe this is where I get into my color theory thing a little bit. And you guys stop it, me no, so I, if uh, same if, thing when I'm watching this. I was like color is so important in this movie it's so important oh my god so and i never like i mean as a kid i'm not like this is a thing but looking back at it right now i'm like whoa and i actually think it's fairly subtle i I, like it for for how many times i've seen this movie the fact that i've just started to kind of process this theory in the last year or so i think really speaks to how well directed it is i mean like um it was uh, directed by um, by Kevin Lima, and Kevin Lima also did Tarzan, which is incredible, and Enchanted, which came out a few years later, which I really like. Enchanted. I do too. I think that one's like a little bit overlooked. So, th- this is what I want to say: is so, so this, in that dream sequence, there's this beautiful blue sky and this beautiful blue light, right? And when Goofy has that, I think like legitimately scary, and I think not to end up too in the weeds, I think you could actually, like, depending on what Max and Goofy's race is supposed to be, like, kind of racially charged language that, that Principal Mazur uses, like, I was thinking the- dressed like a gang member, he, like, starting a riot. I mean, it's like, I, as an adult, like, thinking that I would be on the pr- phone with a principal, some, talking about my child like that, like, my, like, skin, you know, jumped up, talking about the electric, he's going to end up in the electric chair. Yeah. His eyes turn red. They turn like cartoonishly red. And then we cut to Goofy, who his, even though he's at, you know, JCPenney, Sears, whatever department store he works at, magically, the lights have basically been turned all the way off by because like this phone call with Mazer sucked the light out of the scene. And all we see is this blue light special, this strobing blue light that calls him to the bobblehead that makes him have the idea to go to Lake Destiny, Idaho. And a lake is blue, you know, and that's that's the target and then when max ends up kicking open the glove compartment and the map spills out it's like a porous like like this red light like just bursts out of the glove compartment like a volcano and and fills the car with this red and it's this very like jedi sith energy and then when they go to the neptune and everything at the neptune is good because this is before goofy has heard the truth that max has changed the map everything is blue and and like this very like artificially lit blue and then goofy goes to the car and opens the glove box and once again that nasty toxic red light comes out of the glove box and i i couldn't help but see it this time and it's very deliberate and intentional and it's i think like really good directing like I, i i just really enjoy that a lot 
I picked that up. <laughs> yeah. I was I like, for that. Yeah. Cool. I also was. That. So yeah, you're not alone in that. I think that was okay. Because I was definitely noticing the same things. And like, even when, um, you know, Goofy's getting out of the hot tub, right. After like, yes. Oh, he changed it. And then he finds out and he goes back into the room, just the weight of his disappointment and like how blue it is still like, man. Yeah. It's, it, right? it's, the the magic has been burst. Sorry, what did you say? Max and like PJ are hanging out in the room too. Right? Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. Let's. I want. I mean, I want to talk about the Neptune Inn. Is one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. The design of this place, the the little like basically the same color palette as the Little Mermaid light switch. The idea of beds that have fish in them, right? And then the pizza. The way that that pizza just the cheese. I want that. Pizza. It's probably. I want that pizza. I think that pizza is second only to Ninja Turtles pizza. I mean, it is so stringy. And I just, I love the overall aesthetic of it. And I just love the, I love the story moment that happens. You know, we've talked about how fast the movie is. And it really does move at an incredibly quick pace the whole time. The Neptune is one of the only times where the movie really stops and breathes. And it's so well-written that that happens at a hotel. They're literally stopping to rest. And I love that PJ and, and Pete end up running into them. And I, I love that we get to see at least moments of Max and Goofy as truly best friends. And I think what we get to see there is, yes, they are living a lie at that point. Goofy doesn't know it, but they are. But I think we get a sneak peek at what they really will be like after the movie ends. And I, I really like that a lot. Um, yeah, I just love the Neptune. I, I, I had to throw that in there while we were talking. About I agree. It. That even makes you think of PJ is relaxed for the first time in the movie. In the- Absolutely. It, it really is. And like we, like Pete, who's pretty tightly wound, I don't think to considered, like literally takes his shirt off. And like, even though he's a cat, you know, gets in the hot tub. Yeah, everybody gets a moment to rest and relax. And then that's when Goofy gets hit by the truth and he's devastated by it. I, it just, I think it's a really well-written, well-directed, and of course, I mean, the art direction on it, incredible. Steve. Well, I was going to say, contrast that to the moment of reprieve before when they're at the, the um, like, campground, uh, like, roadside attraction thing, which I actually think... Lester's Possum Park. Yeah. Which I think is one of the most, also, like, beautiful moments of the movie where like it's so vulnerable between because max is like i'm a teenager and i'm rebellious but reverting back yes. to the hi dad soup you know is so Our, so touching and um so that contrast is um is so interesting of and and especially how i mean think about how panicked that scene is because they have the like sasquatch character you know Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Later on when they've got that, I mean, hi, Dad Soup. That I, so this is the first time I've sat and watched the whole movie, like, focused since I have had kids. I ha- it's on a lot at my house. I, I did not. I watched it totally by myself. I, I have watched bits and pieces of it with my daughters as we're, like, I'm making them dinner or whatever, you know, and I see pit, like parts and I like it. But this is the first time that, like, the way that I consume film, I sat down and like truly like processed it. And uh, since I have, since I've been a father and I have to tell you when I got to high dad soup, I, 
I choked up big time. And then I'll tell you when a little bit later, I cried, cried a little bit later. But yeah, that moment where they're talking about high dad soup and there's this very tender moment of like, well, yeah, he used to say things like, like, bye-bye. And then he's like being silly, like, or I pledge allegiance to the flag. And then Goofy says, or like, I love you. And then it's just this deafening silence. And that moment feels so real. And I think is what this movie does exceptionally well, is that this movie that is about Disney's goofiest character, this absolutely silly, bizarre character, and his very real feeling son in this mostly real feeling world somehow manages to have gags where a mime is pretending to pull a piano up over his head and then they use finger scissors to cut the rope and the piano crushes a real piano appears and crushes the mime that movie also has this high dad soup scene that like this could appear in a in any like Denzel Washington drama. It, it, I I think that it is a really ridiculous task, and the voice actors, the the music, the the direction, everything really rises to the occasion because this movie shouldn't work. If you look at the parts, they don't make sense. It, like if if it's a, I think this is why it's kind of a cult classic and why it didn't do as well in its first run is because the premise of Goofy has a touching father-son road trip with his angsty kid is a really, really bizarre pitch. It sounds like a Mad Lib. Like, it doesn't even sound like it should exist. So I I really love that a lot. Um, Riley, you haven't necessarily called out a specific moment. Is there a certain, maybe like a certain... Uh, set piece or a certain element of the movie that, like, that really speaks to you? I think, I mean, transitioning right out of these moments that are so emotionally heavy and hit just in this a really unique way. Um, and for me, it being such a nostalgic movie that hits so well. Um, but, I mean, it's probably similar and I'm really curious to hear what you say about the other moment where you cried, but like I'm sitting in the, you know, watching this movie and Marcia's like, oh man, are you are you crying? Are you crying right now? Like, Yes. <laughs> and well, the high dad soup moment, like it hits me and I'm like real tears. It, like, yeah, yeah. That, I would say that's my favorite scene is like the second Sasquatch is introduced or like Bigfoot. Like, yeah, I'm just dying laughing. This movie has Bigfoot. <laughs> this movie has Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. And I just think he, he's funny and Bigfoot's like doing his little like gaggy funny things. And I still thought it was hilarious. Yes. Tanner. Tanner's motioning over Zoom, headphones. Wait, wait, puts, puts the underwear over his head and pokes one eye out of the crotch hole. It's so funny. Well, oh, my God. The headphones. The headphones, too. Saturday Night Fever. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, so my gosh. For me, like, from the minute Bigfoot's introduced to the moment he leaves, a lot happens, and I like all of it. And it's just a whole range of things. And, like, they go through the, like, there's suspense, and there's humor, and then there's this touching moment. And it can't be more than five minutes long. Uh, no, because this movie is, so is like, seriously, like, 88 minutes long. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I would say, like, for me, like, that's, like, the condensed moment where it's, like, there's so much I like in this right here this has got to be my favorite part. But then I keep watching. I'm like, well, no, now this is my favorite part now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's like, also if like thinking about the generations who could be watching it, because I think that is such like a touching vulnerable moment. And like, when you think about like 
how far removed like we're like all kind of around the same age so it's like we're like third generation from the great depression now where it was like security was the only thing and like emotional availability just wasn't a thing and it's like thinking about like gen x or boomer parents watching this like it's almost kind of like a like a it's okay you can be emotional with your kids type of vibe so i'm also like thinking about this as like goofy is an example of a parent like the all the doing is it's like indirect um like adversary to what pete's teaching which i'm like i feel like what pete's teaching might be more normative at least for the time of like oh yeah just like keep your thumb down on your kids and keep them feeling this way and goofy literally velcro a child down that's a whole nother thing which when you yeah like that makes me uncomfortable like watch that scene marcia was also just like oh i remember this scene because it made me uncomfortable as a kid and even now it's problematic like why is catching a child like that in general (laughs) and the mom is so burnt out (laughs) i mean even just kind of bringing it back in is like i think goofy is such a good example of like a parent that's not doing it maybe what's typical, but is doing it in a way that's so relatable and feeling so many different roles and being a really dynamic character in person and like adhering to a lot of things to try to meet Max where he's at. It's just so cool. Uh, I even sticks out to me as like Goofy walks in asking about laundry, wearing a towel around his head. And right. this like feminine portrayal, oh. first thing about Goofy. And he's like, and I think going out of way to show that he is Max's mom and dad right. too, subtly, I think. Yeah. I, I also, I think speaking to your notion of generations, I think there are very few moments where we get to learn about Goofy's relationship with his dad. And one of them is when he uses his teeth to puncture the can of high dad soup. And Max is truly impressed. And he says, your granddad, your granddad taught me that when we went to Yosemite. Uh, Yosemites. Um, but he, <laughs> uh, I just time stamped the podcast. I'm sorry. But uh, that moment is a really nice look at Goofy's relationship with his father. And I think, Riley, kind of what you're saying is, you know, if we think about this, that, uh, you know, Max is Gen X. And so that makes Goofy kind of lost, what's it called? Silent generation, I guess is what that generation's called. And and yeah, so then his dad definitely would have been someone who grew up in the Great Depression. And, and I think this idea of like, maybe goofy and his father were only close when they were doing things when they had an activity to share you know and i I think those little moments there are subtle but really touching i i yeah i i find that to be a very compelling part of the movie the speak if uh, you kind of said ben i don't know when you cry so i will say that um i cried really hard at the moment leading into nobody else but you i think that's a really touching song but there is this moment where max says I'm not your little boy anymore, dad. I've grown up. I have my own life now. And he says, I know that. I just wanted to be a part of it. Yes. And then there is silence. And that silence at my house was interrupted by. (laughs) You saying that, like I'm getting in the moment. Oh my gosh. And then you're my son, Max, no matter how big you get, you'll always be my son. I, when he said that I have a very rebellious four-year-old who I, I am so proud of her she questions and challenges authority she is uh, she is amazing but I have already had micro moments of this with her I have no idea what she's going to be like when she is 15 years old and I I mean it wrecked me it it, it that hit so weirdly hard in this silly movie that has Bigfoot 
I cried very hard on my couch today. Very hard. <laughs> I Yeah, that was what it was like. I'm hiding it, but I'm still crying at this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, Tanner, did you have any other moments that you want to shout out? Anything that's calling to you? Um, I mean, <laughs> there's so many great moments. I think how this movie does, and like we've touched on a lot, but like how it, it goes, it's very, very goofy and very, very funny to like all of a sudden sobering, very serious and like mm-hmm. very real and touches you. Um, I, I definitely love that about the movie. Um, one of the things that really, um, one of the funny, more funny parts that I really brought, like cracked me up a lot was when they stopped at the possum, the Lester's possum part. Yeah, Lester's like, possum I'm part. dying that entire time they're at that, that place. Like I, there's like, they get there and it looks like a haunted house like there's like it's terrifying it looks like there's like this possum with just an open mouth that they walk in and there's a kid like screaming like not wanting to go in there and then they go i mean it's roadside chuck e cheese right yes well and i I do find that (laughs) i do find that detail that it's like kind of terrifying to be so accurate because like have you ever looked at what clowns looked like when our parents were kids yeah like like people who are afraid of clowns now Look at what clowns looked like in 1964. Like, like, I think it's so accurate that that Goofy's nostalgia is blinding him to how freaky that the toothy possum and then at the storm. Yeah. Yeah. I told and the, the girl that doesn't want to go in. And then I yeah, let's just possum park is uh I it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. I think the one of the parts I like I just couldn't stop laughing the most was when they're doing the song inside of the possum, like they're sitting there all singing. And the girl, the girl just turns and just like, la, 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 la. What? (laughs) As all of the animatronics are falling apart. (laughs) Don't you want to be? Uh-huh. Hanging from a tree. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, man. It's it's wild. Also, like, with the color theory thing, I feel like Lester's Possum Park is the only scene that's got this just really dark tone to it that you don't really see come back. Except for the nightmare at the very beginning, which also has that same jagged kind of purple. Yeah, uh, I. but I agree. It doesn't come back in the real world again. Lester's Possum Park is definitely supposed to feel scary. <laughs> oh, man. Also, English major nitpicky. Well, maybe this is more of a zoologist thing, but it should be a possum. It should be Lester's a possum park. Possums are Australian and they're cute little. They're, they're not He's as right scary. Write them a letter. As, as, yeah, Lester's up. You know what? I will. I'm gonna at them real hard. I <laughs> wish somebody would make Lester's Possum Park. It couldn't cost that much to make. I just keep you know? giggling at roadside Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, no. like, roadside Chuck E. Cheese. Is... Like a nerd. Yeah. I'm like, man, that's actually really yeah. right. That's really what it is. Minus all of the tickets and prizes and games and fun and pizza. <laughs> <But> yeah, everything <laughs> that was really great about it. Really, right. Well, so I, I. I think that we'll continue to find some stuff we like to talk about as we move on to the categories. But before we move on to the categories, I wanted to talk about what I'm pretty sure we all agree is the best part of the movie, which is the closing musical number, Eye to Eye, and everything about it. My brothers and I, we used to rewind to the start of this song, play it out, dance to it. We would stage and choreograph like... We would put things around our house. My mom played guitar. We would stuff my youngest brother, Nate, into the guitar case so that he could be goofy falling out of the guitar case. I mean, like, stuff like that. And and just play it over and over 
and over and over again. The song absolutely slaps. Mm. The the entire sequence is just a wonderful storytelling moment. Max's horniness is is back in, in full effect as he is checking out background dancers and, and all sorts of stuff. The, the payoff of the perfect cast, you know, like it, it's just incredible. Let's talk about the masterpiece that is I Do I. What do you guys love about this song? What do you guys love about the number? What do you guys like about how it's staged, et cetera? Tanner, you want to go first? Because I have a hot I was going to say, I, I don't like, I, I definitely, I didn't remember that coming so quickly after the perfect, but it's like right after that scene. It's like, oh yeah, the hard. map blows up to the camera. It says Los Angeles and they They're are there. there. I mean, it does not waste yeah. time. And they get those synth pulses. The yeah. It vamps just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that all, like, it just, it feels like aesthetically that, that whole scene is just like, it just, it just feels really cool. You're like, man, I wish I was at that concert. That concert yep. looks like the coolest concert to be at. Like, uh, Powerline is just—you're just like, he's so cool. <laughs> like, Powerline is so yeah, cool. He's so cool. Yes. <laughs> and he's just it, chill it's, as it's, people just show up on a stage too. He's yes. just like, hey, you're on my stage, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got really good vibes, yeah. right? I think that a really hard thing—I bet you guys can uh, will agree with me on this—as a songwriter—is that like. Uh, I guess as songwriters, that when I'm watching a movie and or a TV show and a band is supposed to be really good and then the song just totally sucks, it pulls me out so hard. And Powerline walks the walk and talks the talk. He is actually as cool as everyone talks him up to be. The songs are actually as good. Like, they are so good that you can totally understand how in this universe that he would be Prince Michael Jackson level famous. You can absolutely understand it. And it really buys this movie a lot of authenticity. I mean, like one of the things we've talked about is this movie is constantly causing you to suspend your disbelief even more than the average cartoon because it is asking you to accept that Goofy is a single father and that this is a touching story about him and his son, right? That's already a big jump. Well, this music, being as good as it is, takes some of the slack off of that premise. It makes the whole rest of the movie work better that Powerline slaps. Like, I, I just absolutely love it. I did notice for the first time ever this time, the background singer who absolutely shreds. She is the larger woman who is in the car with the really little guy in on the open road. Yep. I had never processed that before. So there is like a totally different like Rosencrantz and Gilderstern are dead movie that is their road trip where they also end up in LA for the Powerline concert because that she's that's this the same woman. And that blew my mind. That absolutely blew my mind on this most recent watch. But that's that's what a packed before. movie this is. is well, she looks Isn't that crazy? She looks like a nobody throughout the movie and then has like a deeper voice in on the open Yes. And then shows up and she's a big deal at the biggest rock show of all time. Yeah. Yeah. She does uh, all of Rosie Gaines, um, who we'll talk about um, at the production of, of, of uh, I do. I want to get to trivia, but uh, whatever she's singing all of Rosie Gaines part. It's, it's incredible. I, I love that so much. Jeremy, what are your, some of your favorite parts of I do. I so I heard hot take. I say I had a hot take on this and that hot take. Uh oh, I think. The opening sequence with Max in the auditorium 
is 10 times cooler. Stand out. I like that song Whoa. better. Well, okay. I think I might like Stand Out better. I think I might have your back I on think mistake. watching it, and to be very, like, honest and vulnerable, like, I remember watching that as a kid, and I was like, this is the epitome of cool. And I remember I was yes. like, I remember totally. in, like, first or second grade, I can't remember exactly which, but just, like, talking to my friends, I'm like, we need to do this. Like, this is so cool. And like, this is how we'll be cool. <laughs> And honestly, this is when I was like, this song slaps. And really, I was like, oh, like, like all music should feel this good, you know? And yes. just like everybody's attention is on Max. Like he has the girl he's interested in, like his interest is in her. His buddies are helping him. They're doing cool stuff. Like to me, that whole opening sequence is so cool. And like, obviously, eye to eye, I think, pays that all off. But there's just something about all eyes on Max and like that, like, ego you know that's just like makes it 10 times cool well and i love the way things keep this is a very goofy thing it's actually really subtle writing is that in goofy shorts and goofy's presence and and mickey mouse in general is that often goofy does something clumsy or wrong and then the way things work out he ends up succeeding so like a really good example is later on when max kicks the tire when they're trying to change the tire on the car Everything bounces around and it fixes it. That happens and stand out. Max, by all means, apparently there's a crazy thunderstorm going on uh, around me. Uh, (laughs) There is, so there is, there are several moments where Max like trips or like gets his foot caught in a rope or whatever, and it should get messed up. And then instead it ends up being even cooler. And I love that because that is a very, very much his goof DNA, I think. (laughs) coming through yeah, it. I, I love that from goofy I'm so to sorry. Goofy. Yeah. Sorry, we got to eugenics on this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're going to make a master goofy race. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, just those giant teeth. Uh <laughs> yuck. Um so I think that I really love about eye to eye is I love the way that it's cutting in and out of Macy's party. And that we are getting the closure of everything that was happening back home, as well as the closure of Max and Goofy. I think it's an impressive job of lyric writing in the sense that it's a song that could be about a, a, a couple. It could be about lovers, but it also works as being a song about a father and son who, for the first time ever, are seeing it eye to eye. And I think that maybe I'm giving it too much credit here. I think that that's not as cheesy as it could be. I, I think you actually kind of have to stop and think about it for a second to process, oh, they're doing that thing that movies do where this song is about them. I, I think it's layered enough that, especially children, but I think even adults on their first listen through might not immediately be like, oh, this song is clearly about what Max and Goofy have been through. And I really admire that about it. I 100% agree. Like, that's where, for me, the song Eye to Eye almost stands out more than the scene itself. Where, like, I've almost sure. been able to, like, separate it. Be like, I just like the song for the messaging and that it feels like a bop. And that the lyrics are not overly complicated, but the messaging of the lyrics are, like, just so simple to get behind. And you can't see it yeah. from so many different angles. And I think that's what I like about it. And so when I go to like watch the final scene and like feel all those conclusions, uh, it, it has so many facets where like 
I mean, talking about Goofy and Max's relationship and how it's like they didn't have to change who they were as individuals to then come to this, like, I have an appreciation for you because of the time we've spent together, because of the communication we've had, and because of the way that we've been able to, like, grow in our relationship. And, like, there's a celebration at the end of it, which I think is just so appropriate, where, like, now they have this relationship where they can see eye to eye. And I think that the scene of eye to eye doesn't end at the concert, but really goes into the end of the movie when he introduces Roxanne to Goofy. Yeah, and be like, yeah, that, like that, that nice little coda there, yeah. And it's like, that's the first time he's proud of his dad. And is like, totally. he is so cool. He is, he is himself. He's literally sticking out of the roof, which in my head, I'm like, yeah, hi, this is Goofy. He's going to pay to fix your roof because he just played <laughs> the roof and that Roxanne's dad's going to kick his ass, you know, so... Roxanne's dad is so scary. Roxanne's, Roxanne's dad is like a, a big bulldog or something. Yeah. The chip and she's good. <laughs> I so I dated I I will I'm for the sake of uh anonymity I will change her name to Roxanne. I dated a uh, uh in in high school a, a girl who uh, a young woman whose uh father was very much a Roxanne's dad type. And the first time I came to the door to pick her up for a date, he came to the door instead. And stuck out his hand and then gave me that like obnoxiously tight handshake grip and wouldn't let go, locked eyes with me and said, hi, Ben, I'm Roxanne's dad. And I said, hi, I'm Ben. It's so nice to meet you. Are you a Democrat or a Republican? <laughs> oh, um, well, you know, I mean, uh, I, I actually kind of just turned 18. I haven't voted yet. I, I guess I would say I tend to be a little bit liberal leaning. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm pretty much a diehard Republican how do you feel about abortion? And then I was like, uh, uh, he's still shaking my hand. And I'm like, I think it's a very complicated issue. I think as a man, my opinion on it is not very important. And he goes, that's interesting. Did you know that Roxanne was adopted? True story really happened. Her name was Roxanne. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. And I've never been more scared in my life. How old did you say you were? I, I was a, I was like early, it was uh, fall semester senior year of high school, so I was like eighteen. That's that's yeah. crazy. It was oh wild, <laughs> or seventeen maybe, yeah, seventeen or eighteen. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Jeremy, uh, when I see Roxanne's dad, I immediately think of Roxanne's dad and get very uh, anxious. <laughs> well, okay, so that's the end of the movie. So obviously, it rules. Let's move on to the different categories of this conversation, so we can keep talking about it, but from some, from some different angles. So. Let's start things off with the zippity doodah moment for what's aged the worst. It happened on one of them zippity doodah days. So this category, it doesn't necessarily have to be problematic. It just could be something like the CGI doesn't trick my brain anymore or whatever. Uh, what, what for you guys aged the worst about this film? I think like, and we kind of touched on it briefly, but I was just watching through it and I, I don't want to feel like I'm eisegeting like meaning into the movie that may not have been there or an intention of the writers, but just like some of the things of like, you know, is there racial tension? Are there things that they're saying that are like, you know, not okay. Um, but I mean, with the current circumstances we're in politically and just in general, um, some of the things to do with like, we, we kind of briefly mentioned it, but just like, you know, um, being a gang member or like, um, going to jail or 
some of those things. There's like the scene at the Neptune when Pete is like, this is the police open up. And then he comes in like finger guns blazing. And then Goofy and Max are both scared. I, I agree. I think if you watch this movie and tell yourself, and I, I think you could go either way on whether or not it's written this way at all. But I think if you go through and say, Max and Goofy are dogs. And in this world, dogs are black people. Then there's definitely some stuff that right. like, maybe well and then that's what's interesting it's like some of it maybe hasn't aged well and then some of it also maybe was like i think kind of way ahead of its time totally. and, and how coded the language that, that was absolutely institutional and subtle racism being thrown at these you know i i agree i think there are i hadn't thought about that moment at the neptune but like if we're supposed to read pete and pj the cats as being non-black that's a racist moment like right totally totally it wasn't like i don't think it's you know one of those things you can toss them about but just stuff like that or we even talked about the styles of parenting too like i said the whole sears moment um i sure although i mean like what's interesting is like on, if we're talking about how it aged pete's not supposed to be someone we root for you know like right. goofy's definitely supposed to be the even only parent where you're like the, that's a good guy that's a good parent. was like uh, yeah I, no for I'm me like you. the photo booths oh that's that's what i was, was like that whole instance didn't age super well it's like that does not exist anymore at all and if you were not alive at that time you would not my, get my it. first take was i was like i think this movie actually holds up really well um but i was just gonna say like being so business marketing brained the like dominion department stores and shopping malls had over like especially right. think of the 90s like i remember having family yes. portraits taken at jc penny jc penny right? yep you know? absolutely yep and that's so interesting yeah. and, and now seems so foreign. Like, so you're like, why would this clothing retailer have a photo studio? No sense whatsoever. But it was just, you're like, man, this makes sense, you know? Absolutely. I, that, it definitely timestamps it at the very least. It, and yeah. then other thing I would say, we just, and, and now it, it's cool, but I feel like, if you think about like the nineties and stuff, it's like the Neptune is very like, kind of like Polynesian pop, you know, like a, sure. a kind of yeah. like mid thirties, sixties, kind of like tiki drink type stuff. And you think about when that sort of fell out of being cool, you know, in the seventies, a lot of, I think as boomers were like, well, our parents were into that. So we're not going to be into like tiki drinks are kitschy now. They're not cool. I mean, they're cool now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was about to say flash forward to now I'm obsessed with tiki aesthetic and yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and i also only bring that up to sound smart because i'm reading a book about tiki drinks and tiki culture what are you reading but i think it is oh it's whatever ethan posted to his story the other night that i don't know is I it can't smuggler's cove yes i'm is. reading it too oh my gosh oh my gosh i got it tomorrow 100%. that's amazing i i thought i had it right here on my desk and i was going to show you but i don't I don't know. I, yeah, I may no, or may not cut this out of the podcast, but that's amazing. That is amazing. Oh, oh I'm definitely reading that right now. Oh, so hilarious. Yeah, I don't know. I think just like the, the the dominion of the department store and what retail meant in the 90s versus what retail means now. It's so bizarre. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, Tanner, do you have one? Yeah, I was just going to say um, my initial reaction to at the beginning of the movie when the principal talks to Goofy in that scene we talked about my initial reaction to that was a little bit of like um, a modern day reaction to that. Like why would Goofy believe this principle 
And like, why is reaction not like, sure. you don't know my son, but. Um, There's a lot of editorializing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's like, pretty then, inappropriate. Yeah. Right. And um, I mean, you look at that from now, I'm like, it's like, that's very much like, I to me, it's like, it's not that it was like, uh, it didn't age well because it's wrong. It just didn't age well because I don't think that's as a realistic of a reaction now is I feel like maybe that's Goofy's like a generational thing with like Goofy from the generation he comes from totally a little bit more but like i mean that's where the i mean that's a very key plot point from the development from there on though <laughs> so let's move on to sadness's buzzkill question yeah, you could get lost in there think positive okay i'm positive you will get lost in there so these are questions that sadness from inside out would ask unanswerable questions etc i'm going to start with the one i kind of teased earlier which is this movie exists inside of the fact that Disney exists and is successful. And we know that for a handful of reasons, including the fact that Walt Disney is name-checked and Mickey Mouse is name-checked and Mickey and Donald appear in the movie. Um, Mickey Mouse is famous enough that in the very first scene of real life in Max's bedroom, he has a Mickey Mouse phone. So my nitpicky unanswerable insane question is did goofy have a successful movie career in hollywood fall in love with a woman they had a child she died and then he decided to move back to his hometown and raise his son there and work as a photographer as at a department store it's my unanswerable question that i'm asking you guys do you believe that that is the reality of this movie Yes or no, feel free to contribute, dogpile, or shoot it down. I open the floor to faint heart. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, but I'm also just wanting to know why Donald Duck and Mickey are on the side of the road trying to get somewhere, and Goofy's just like, screw you guys. Do you? Later. Yeah. You they didn't come to no, Max's mom's funeral? I, I, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but also, it's on the other side of the country, yeah. <laughs> right? Future knowledge of Kingdom Hearts. Oh. Seriously, he's like, who's your best friend? Donald Duck? Yeah, like, yeah, awesome. you guys are going to fight some darkness together. Yeah, Heartless, sorry. Oh, no. Uh, I ap- apologies to my friend Adam, who I know listens to this podcast, and just considered me much less of a good friend when I just confused Heartless for darkness. Yeah, nobody. Adam no. just disowned me after that. All right, what were you saying, Jeremy? <laughs> oh, I mean, that was pretty much it. Um... The only thing I, I'm trying to remember, is it confirmed? We can totally cut from this podcast, but is it confirmed that Goofy's wife is dead? Max's mom is dead? No, but I feel like the fact that she's not mentioned at all, the fact that he's not like, I'm going to go stay at mom's. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, I think that the fact, Max would absolutely play that card. That's the reason why I think it's... It, <laughs> I like that. Unofficially yeah. confirmed is because Max would absolutely be like, I'm going to mom's. Bye. Yeah. All right. Any other buzzkill questions? Any other nitpicky weird plot holes or anything like that? It's an airtight movie. I dare you to name a plot hole. Okay. That's, I just, Here's my plot hole. Oh, really? Here Here's, we go. Here ready, we go. Ready for, it's, it's so real. How? Okay. His, their car, they're floating on a car. Oh, okay. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go to the concert somehow they make it to the concert in la 
and then the car's back in their hometown and it and then it explodes. There's I like to think really a it's a cartoon. I don't, I don't know. I like to think they had no money left and bought a <laughs> junker in LA, and that's Goofy's favorite color of car. So it just so happens to be the same color of car. That's okay. that's my answer to that. The original car also was very buoyant for a, a vehicle. Just yeah, since. yeah, that's, that's yeah. convenient. So yeah. Buoyant. Also, whirlpools in the middle of a river <laughs> in a canyon. You know what? It made for a, a wonderful set piece for that lovely yes. song. <laughs> no, it, was, it was very nice. I don't That's know what the, the scene I remember most. <laughs> I guess I would be a geologist, maybe. Maybe there's a geologist probably going to listen to this podcast and be like, screw that guy for thinking geologists study rivers. I don't know the study of rivers. <laughs> well, they, they study but, the earth, right? So that's, right. that's the earth. So that's what yeah. I apologize to anyone. This would also know how a parachute, like the physics of the the perfect cast catching Goofy. Goofy also is still raising above yeah. in that <laughs> scene until and then they embrace and somehow the weight of the parachute remains yeah. the same. Uh, concert production, the lightning strike on the, the orb thingy. Oh yeah. And I like I don't know how you're shooting like plasma bolts, dude. Well, and that glass shatters everywhere. I mean, Goofy would just be bleeding. It's like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> you, know? I mean, you just kind of feel the glass. I think the adrenaline got him through the musical performance. As soon as, <laughs> as, soon as the music stops on that track, he's like, oh, Max, I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> this is my come down. <laughs> yes. Good thing I know right. this by muscle <laughs> yeah, exactly. memory. That's why Max says do the perfect cast. He's like, oh no, it, muscle memory is the only thing that'll get him through this. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the Mr. Potato Head Award. Hey, Ham, look, I'm Picasso. Hey, I don't get it. You uncultured swine. What are you looking at, you hockey puck? This is for the character who did the most with the least screen time or the fewest lines. I think this has to be unanimously, am, am I, like we might even need to rename it. This is the Robert Zemiruski Award, right? I mean, yes. yeah, I mean, Easily. Bobby steals Easily. the show so hardcore. I think Pauly Shore has like 12 lines. I bet he was the most paid voice actor, like the highest paid voice actor for the entire cast. Because this is like, this is when he's like doing Biodome. I mean, like. I, that's what I was going to say. I was like, Biodome had to be around yes. the same time. So like. I, I think he's probably the highest paid actor and he probably has like 12 lines total. Just the whole- Biodome was 96. Oh, oh, so he was probably filming Biodome when this came out. Yeah. So I just think that whole element with the cheese whiz, I just, it's so memorable. And the, you know, the Leaning Tower cheese, like we said, he just has so many great, weird lines. I mean, the very first time we see him, he's sipping through a straw out of a water fountain which really in COVID times is actually a very smart call. I mean, <laughs> if I had to use a water fountain these days, I probably would use a straw as well. Yeah, sure. Bobby uh, saw the future there. But uh, yeah, I just, I think, I mean, you guys can disagree and say somebody else, but I don't know how it's not Robert Zimaruski. He just absolutely upstages and steals the show. May, the next runner up for me probably is, is Roxanne's dad. It, it, he's pretty great with literally zero lines, but yeah, yeah. Any other, anybody else you want to nominate? Or do we just change the name from Mr. Potato Head? M moving forward on this podcast, it should just be the Robert Bobby Zimaruski Memorial. Because he doesn't live to 25, I don't think. 
like <laughs> he's he's <laughs> well i'm also like is cheddar a drug? Yeah. oh totally i mean like the, like he he hacks it like he okay. took just like a huge drag right i mean like it's like it's like <laughs> or bad good it's very much yeah like like a like a blunt drag cough i think i think it's supposed to be but he's also like, i also love that he's like i'm just doing yes. this for you yeah, don't guys give me that attitude, man. yes oh my god yeah he has That's a blowtorch why does he have a blowtorch he's plugging in cables <laughs> he's he's the perfect hype man oh yeah you know, yeah oh totally. i was like he's so cool in his own way and that's what makes him so cool whereas like max is like dealing with like his dad and like approval of roxanne and everybody else and he's just like leaning tower of cheese a baby i think that he and macy get married have a couple of kids have a dicey divorce that's the thing right yeah sure. yeah yeah, see, I, I think almost for sure. <laughs> he never grows up. Yeah, she can't the never. It. The thing that she loves about him is also the thing that destroys their relationship. Um, okay, let's move on to the Boba Fett Award for the coolest toy that could be made for this movie. It's the new Boba Fett Star Wars large size action figure from Kenner. Darth Vader sold separately. Capture them alive! I'm the best bounty hunter in the whole galaxy. That's why you got the job. It's Pete's RV. It's Pete's RV. I was literally just about to say yeah. Pete's RV. Pete's RV is so cool. When it pulls up, that moment when you're, especially when you're a kid, you're like, do RVs like this exist? And can we get one? You know, it's so cool. It has the bowling alley on top. It has <laughs> the like the grill that pops out the side with steaks already going on it. It's got a pool. It, it's so cool. I Pete's RV in real life would be the coolest toy ever made. And then even just for like, as an action figure, the idea that I could have Boba Fett and Michelangelo like hanging out on Pete's RV. Yeah. Well, so that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of like the, the Ninja Turtles van, yeah. right. You know, mixed with, I don't know what it was called. That like dome thing that was on the techno drum. Yes. yes. Like something like that. <laughs> if we're talking Ninja Turtles, you're in my world, man. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the barbie corvette yeah for, right 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 like no i i just i think it's definitely and then the the other one that comes to mind is just a waterbed with fish in it i know well, so I it's not say, humane or sound runner up is the the summer line that only ran for like a year and a half but you know becomes like movie memorabilia cult merch <laughs> that you want is the neptune blow up kitty yes pool. yes oh oh up uh, a pool that looks like it has fish in it is a very cool concept. Yeah, it's like a clear kitty pool that you blow up. It really sucks. It's definitely going to pop oh, on the grass. Yeah, your cousin's going to come over and be like, let's play chicken. <laughs> and you're like, this pool's three feet deep. What are you doing at first? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Any other cool toys from this movie? Okay, let's. It's got, a, I mean, yeah, power, I was going to say Powerline or the. the yeah, the Powerline Halloween costume. Actually, I, I have I have one thought on that, and and it's actually I'm just gonna I'm just gonna steal a tweet here. Um, the Powerline action figure, unrealistic body expectations for men. Oh yeah, he's got that triangle. I mean, he's got the broad shoulders. Literally an hourglass. Yeah, well, not even an hourglass. He's like basically a triangle with a super small. He's waist. basically shaped like the Neptune pizza. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. <laughs> With little cheesy, Most cheesy drizzle legs. Yeah. Cheesy yeah. drizzle legs. Yeah, cheesy drizzle legs. Yeah. No, I'm with you there, 100%. <laughs> All 
All right, if we were going to make a theme park attraction, we're going to Disney World. Something I've wanted to say my whole life. I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> Can I go with you? Yeah, you everybody. And if we were awesome to park. to Imagineer a and I you said Lester's Possum Park, you, you didn't Boston, even hesitate. Lester's Possum Park. Lester's Possum Park. I feel like that's what you eat. I feel like that's what you eat before or after. Yeah. I, yeah, it's like experience more as like it's a restaurant, right? Lester's Possum Park is like a restaurant. With, but with like the basically, Pirates yeah, of yeah. the Caribbean animatronics. Sure, sure, sure. You know, but just to the girl laughing. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I like the idea of a kind of like Indiana Jones stunt spectacular style attraction that is a Powerline concert and Max and his dad. We as the audience are aware of the fact that they're trying to sneak on stage. And so like they come out and they're characters at first. Mm -hmm. They're like, hi, I'm Max. I'm Goofy. We're trying to sneak onto the stage of this concert. Oh gosh, it's about to start. And so like we see them like hiding in the rafters and swinging from things. And then by the end, they're incorporated in the show doing the perfect cast. That's a great idea. Thanks. I had you on this podcast just to tell me that. I think that was the whole goal. (laughs) Call back to my original idea, similar to yours. You have to trick the principal and take over the school assembly to have your own concert. I like that. You got you got to connect all the cables and all the rigging. More interactive kind of ride. I like you that. have to save Goofy from with the with casting when on a water ride. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's true. There is a good nobody else but you. Like a car top water ride would yeah. be. Yeah, but like uh, you have to confront your feelings with your father as you're riding the ride. <laughs> it's a psychological That's thriller. <laughs> oh God, you just are on top of like a car with your dad, and then it stops, and it doesn't take you on until you resolve all the bad. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. It's impossible to pull off, but I I love it. You know what? The Imagineers could do it. All right. Uh, if this oh, were totally. turned into a live action remake, uh, what would you want from it? Who would you want to direct? Who would you like to see in it? I guess my answer to this question is sort of a cop out, which is that of all of the musicals that got turned into Broadway plays, I always thought a goofy musical would be a really good one. I think that this one has some very theatrical moments that would be really cool on Broadway. And I, I I thought it was it? on Broadway. Did I totally miss that? I because I I remember at earlier. one point in my twenties being no, like, I'm just depressed that I aged out of ever playing Max Goof on Broadway. Uh, well, but now well, I could be goofy. I was, uh, I was gonna reverse the question onto you of you have to cast an artist as Powerline. Who do you pick? I mean, right now, I think he I think you have to go Bruno Mars, right? That Bruno, Bruno can yep. dance. Bruno can actually play drums and guitar. And Bruno's got a pretty good voice. I don't know if it's Tevin Coleman good. Or Tevin Campbell? What's his name? Tevin Campbell good? Campbell. Sorry. Campbell. Tevin Coleman. Why do I know that? Oh, running back for the Atlanta Falcons. There we go. Okay. Tevin Campbell. I don't know if it's Tevin Campbell good. But, like, Bruno Mars has most of the power line package, I feel like. And definitely has, uh-huh. like, a smile. Who are you picking? So mine is somebody I would not have normally gone with, but for some reason just been thinking about in a lot of respect, Sean Mendez. Oh, okay. 
Okay. Different. Yeah. Sure. I haven't seen him dance, so I don't know if he can do the perfect cast. Yeah. That's, I a, I that's a deal breaker. If you can't do the perfect cast. Bellingham Records just came out with that new Fender artist series that looks really cool. Yes. Um, a lot of cool co-writes with Teddy Geiger. Yeah. Actually, all co-writes with Teddy Geiger. Cool. Yeah. Island Records, like, doing cool stuff. No, I support it. I support it. I, I, my, my, when you say that, Jeremy, my first thought is The weekend. Mm, oh, that's a great so you know what? Good. And like uh, when the weekend's been on SNL, he's funny too. Like, okay, yeah, you know, that's a great, great pick. pick. That's Thank it. You. That's it. It's the weekend, <laughs> and he's like, if he's involved, Daft Punk might show up. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's that's the answer to this question: is Daft Punk rewrites the music, and the weekend isn't <laughs> it? Yeah, let's do that. When I think, okay, when you first said the yeah. live action, and I'm thinking live action goofy movie, my first, I'm like, that, I'm getting like cats vibes from that for some reason. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think that like part of why it works is you have to, you have to like disregard that Pete's a cat and that Goofy's a dog. And yeah, you have to let all that go. It just needs to be like, let that go. <laughs> well, yeah. So, okay. I, I've, I've been tempted whether or not to bring this up or not, but I guess I will because I think it, okay. My wife doesn't really like the Goofy, a Goofy movie. She didn't see it when it came out. She didn't see it until like a year and a half or two ago. And her big hang up is she thinks that if you don't know Goofy as a fictional device, that the entire movie doesn't make sense. And I reject her premise, but I hear where she's coming from. Like her whole point is basically like, if you don't have a context for what Goofy is, he ruins this otherwise fairly reasonable movie. And I, I totally reject that premise, but I, I don't know. I, what do you guys think about that criticism? I think like I understand where like having an understanding of who Goofy is enhances yes. the movie, but I don't think it like takes away. Cause I was even while rewatching it recently, it was just like, he's just a lovable goofy dad, which is in like a lot of, you know totally plots like he's just the guy that's just sweetheart and you love him and i could totally see it working in you know a live action format where if you hadn't seen the goofy movie and it wasn't even like explicitly the goofy movie that this you know storyline could still totally work yes so okay so we agree my wife is amazing but just dead wrong yeah yeah <laughs> that's i see, I see where, where she's, she's coming, coming from, from but uh, yeah i was gonna say now the flip-flop is we're all dudes here so we probably have yes. very interesting and different relationships with our dads. Sure. And I think that same, that, or, um, that opposite sex parental relationship is super interesting. So it'd be interesting to survey for women and see if they feel the same way, if this is a great show. I think if there's any, if, if they were to ever like try to like remake it or whatever, I would be way more curious if, if it's Goofy and his daughter. I, I am more interested in that. Yeah. I was going to say that's a 2020 remake, you know, where they kind of do a different thing, but it's very similar. And I was like, even Powerline, I was like, we're trying to say male artists, but I'm like, there's female artists out there. That I think it right. Like, well, Beyonce has already completely outdone Powerline at, at the whole greatest rock center yes. on the planet thing. Yeah, totally. All right. So we'll kind of start to wrap this conversation up by just saying, what's your favorite quote? What's your favorite thing that's said in this movie that we haven't mentioned? yet i 
um, I, I kind of always like to wrap up on this just because I, I think that if there's something you want to talk about that we haven't yet, you can kind of squeeze it in there. For me, I don't think we talked quite enough about After Today, which is one of the great opening musical numbers of all time for anything ever. But the line, I'm going to sit on my butt, is yeah. I'm, I'm 32 <laughs> years old and I still think that that is laugh out loud funny. It's incredible. The delivery is great. And it's it's like an all time movie quote, I think. <laughs> it also really captures like the feeling of that like the last day of school, absolutely, like summer. Absolutely, time, all the opportunity. I think like right on the coattails of that for me, the line uh, where Max it feels like subtle, and I can't remember if it's the end, the very last line in the song, but he's like, "I wish." I wish like, this is the day after today. Oh, it's yes, it's such that, oh, that love it. I caught it so hard the last time I watched it. I was just like, that stuck with me. I was like, wow, that's a great line. A, a totally insane quote that I just absolutely love. I think because it's such a non sequitur is my daughter and I, we play this game where one of us pretends to like snore and be asleep and then wakes up and says, how many cups of sugar does it take to get to the moon? <laughs> and then the other one goes, uh, three and a half. And then that person pretends to fall asleep and we just take turns going back and forth. And I, I just think that that it's so good. It's so good. It's, it's such a throwaway quote, but I just think it's wonderful. And I, I love it. It's, it's goofy being Pete goofy. It, it's, it's a great use of goofy. Same scene, but when he goes to heat up high dad soup and then he just says, at least these things are good for. Yes. A very subtle anti-smoking. Yes. <laughs> I, I was like good move goofy and it was like so smooth and he's like at least these are good for something but also when have you ever thought that for yourself it's like i have this don't use yep. it i mean if you're not a smoker but like growing up like every kid asks what's this and they're like don't, don't touch, touch that you'll yourself totally burn my finger on that as a kid i had like a ring shaped burn on my thumb Ooh. yep yikes did you get any high dead soup out of it or no so I, I was actually going to say, I think my favorite like line moment, we've already talked about it, but like just the high dead soup scene is so pure. It's so and pure and sweet. Yeah. High dead soup. You know? <laughs> right. It's pitched like, oh, this is going to be a, a goofy joke thing. And then it's like, oh no, this is very sweet and tender and, and belongs in a, you know, in a much more serious movie. It, it would still absolutely hold up. I, this isn't necessarily a quote. I'm going to kind of cheat on this category and just say that like there is a reprise of standout where he comes out of the school after having been chewed out by the principal and it's Max, 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 Maxima, oh, Max, Max. And then it does the standout reprise and he like, like surfs on a slip and slide. He saves a baby from stabbing a fork in an electrical outlet. And, like, yeah. That moment, I don't know that it necessarily counts as a quote, but like that's just great. It's just absolutely great, and I, I absolutely love Top it. Top of the world. Yeah, yeah. All right. Any other quotes? I was just gonna say it's not as much of a quote. Like I'm cheating a little bit too, but yeah. Um, I like going back and watching it. I definitely got a kick out of the scene when he when he does lie to Roxanne, like start like comes up with this lie that you're like, that's a strange lie, but okay. Um. But then he, uh, uh, he he tells that his that goofy nose power line or whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
and then Goofy asks, like, are you coming? And he's like, you, something about, like, you uh, party animal you. You crazy party animal you. Goofy. Yeah. <laughs> and Goofy's just like. Hey, yuck. Just yeah. like, his face. Like, oh, my God. I just. You're like, in that moment, you're, like, trying to picture Goofy snorting a line of cocaine, and you just can't do it. Uh, that, you just can't. You're trying, but you just can't. Yeah. That but part I, just. <laughs> doesn't know what you can't not, not laugh not gonna seeing that. <laughs> Uh, when Goofy snorts coke, he just gets calm. Like he <laughs> goes like back around. Uh, he does have a. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, those gums, like you know, those teeth, absolutely. All right, so that brings us, sadly, tragically, to the end of our conversation of a Goofy movie. Thank you guys so much for talking about this wonderful, wonderful film with me. Uh, Hunter, I'm I'm sad that you missed this, but I know you're listening because you support me and your bandmates. Uh, listening all the way through, yelling at your phone, wishing that you had interjected. Uh, well, that we should record Hunter doing like a a commentary track to the podcast separately. The director's, the director's cut. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's like Tanner's wrong. That's a wrong. That's a wrong take. Yeah. Color theory? Yeah, yeah. Right, oh my guys. Gosh. <laughs> I, I want to talk about appearance of the number 13 in this film. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I want you guys to uh, to plug plug your amazing music. I know you have uh, a new stuff coming soon. Do you want to, how specific you want to be about that is up to you, but you do have an incredible single, Us, that is available on all major streaming platforms. It's available for purchase on Apple Music and all that jazz. Talk about Faint Heart. Tell the people about the fine band that is Faint Heart. Uh, music <laughs> for current former youth group kids. That's an excellent pitch. <laughs> it's almost like you work in marketing. Never heard I will say I did. I yeah. did specifically wear my Faint Heart is for Dads shirt because. No fitting on. Yeah, on we're talking about dads. We're talking about Faint Heart. Faint Heart is for Dads. Factual statement. I'm a dad. Yeah. Talking about the issues with my dad. Yeah, <laughs> on top of cars in a river. <laughs> uh, yeah. sure. Do you guys have like a a rough timetable of when people can be looking for new tunes, or is it tw- is it's twenty twenty? Okay, that's what I was about to ask. Yes, so sometime yeah. this year, um, with your permission, at the end, I'll I'll play a good chunk of us after we all wrap up to send everybody out on. Cool. Is that cool? Yeah. Is there another song you guys would rather have, like Longfin, like? <laughs> that's oh, an amazing joke. i love that song and they oh, don't play it live that's why i always tease them uh but yeah so i'll, I'll send everybody out on us for sure we played it live once i wasn't at that show so it doesn't count we did, we did play it once uh, or twice maybe. <laughs> i wasn't at that show. Um, i get it i get it we'll listen to long fin on spotify or something like that yeah you guys yeah once you hear the song you're immediately going to pull them up and and you're going to be glad you're like oh my gosh those guys have funny, charming things to say about Disney movies, and they're this musically talented. That's ridiculous. But yeah, well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Do you guys? Does anybody want to be followed on Twitter or anything like that? Is there a, like a? Excuse me. Are there any? Um, are there any like social media handles or anything like that that you guys want to plug? We we are faint heart on everything. Yeah, yeah. So we, we are faint heart. And you're really just talking to Jeremy, and Jeremy's the witty one you've been hearing all night. So definitely follow Jeremy wherever you're at because it's oh, damn. that's cool. Jeremy's a good follow. <laughs> I can vouch for that. I think actually, I think I tweeted from the band for the first time in quite a while today about the save our stages. 
yeah. very important mm -hmm. cause. Yeah, absolutely check that out. Um, if you like a live local music venue and want it to be still open when concerts start happening again, then you need to take action and, you know, I'll be a little soapboxy, preachy, but yeah, right there, it, it takes like 30 seconds and it's formatted brilliantly so that it reaches out to senators and Congress people, and you should absolutely do that. Wonderful plug there, Jeremy. Love it. Love it. All right. Do you guys want to say anything on Hunter's behalf? Do you think there's anything Hunter would want to say that you guys have said? He got a snare drum today. Oh, so that's what it really is. He, he was like, I'm not going to do the podcast. I want to go buy a new drum. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's like seven inches deep. I think it's like seven by 13. Whoa. Seven by 14. It's like Eefy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm super stoked. Yeah. <laughs> Well, great. All mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in. You can, if you're not already, you can Patreon me, uh, Ben Went, B-E-N-W-E-N-D-T. The D is silent because of my sneaky German ancestors. Uh, yeah. So this has been a goofy movie. Thank you guys so much. Listen to Faint Heart. I'm going to send you guys out on their song, Us, from their upcoming EP. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got a hold on me